Welcome to the Global Seventh-day Adventist Church Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Also visit us on social media, um, on Facebook, that's Global Seventh-day Adventist Church, or um, we also have Instagram, Goebbels Youth. Please check us out there. Also um, on our website, GoebbelsSDAChurch.org. Um, please uh, join and join us Sabbath mornings at uh, 9.30 a.m. for Sabbath school and 10 a.m. for church. Continuing to explore the theme of grace that was graciously started last Sabbath, we ended up in John chapter 8, where the predominant theme could only be grace that is beyond grace. Also continuing on the theme that starts the message, would be an interesting incident that happened one day in Columbia, Tennessee, where city judge Tham Dobius continued a three-year tradition that the day before Christmas, he would offer pardon, forgiveness for uh, traffic tickets to people that would be willing to sing some sort of a Christmas music in the court. So Clifford Jones appeared in traffic court and expected to pay his outstanding ticket. And instead, he sank his way out of fine. And he was one of the 55 people that day that have received forgiveness this way. It's interesting that the police officer, Kenneth Lovett, that welcomed the group uh, that was supposed to be sentenced that day, he would welcome them and said, well, it's a good day for the court today. I hope you like singing. So it's uh, also interesting fact that the judge waived fines and the court costs in cases of speeding and running through stop signs, um, but he still assessed fines for seatbelt violation and child safety restrictions violation. Now, Clifford Jones sang Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer <laughs> and got the forgiveness that way, and it's... <laughs> He added, I'm a little shy, but not about saving a dollar. It was a pretty good Christmas present for him, he assumed. Now, the other fellow, um, Donald uh, Hotler, sang jung, uh, Jingle Bells as his, uh, as his punishment. And he said, it was a little embarrassing. I don't have the best singing voice in the world, but it was worth it. People were happy to get their forgiveness just singing something on a Christmas day, although I know we passed the Christmas uh, 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 time, but let's take the most important out of this uh, story, that God offers us forgiveness and pardon for free every day of our lives. Literally every day you wake up, he starts anew with all of us, without any exception. The title for today is Grace beyond grace. Well, to discover God's grace, unfortunately, we have to go places that are not that pleasant. And to discover the greatest gift of all, we would have to go in the most difficult parts and dimensions of our lives. And at this time, let's open our Bibles. John 8, we'll start reading with verse 1. And verse 1 in chapter 8 is short. 
it says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Jesus came to Jerusalem. We know the pattern. Whenever is a feast, great feast, in Jerusalem, Jesus usually would show up himself there for this celebration and opportunity to teach from God's word. And people in great majority would follow Jesus, would listen to his stories at the temple. And it says here in verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, that's speaking about the evening time. So Jesus came to the temple, was teaching and uh, preaching at the temple during the daytime, but Mount of Olives, where is that? In Jerusalem or outside Jerusalem? It is outside Jerusalem. So where does Jesus go? He goes outside Jerusalem. Do you know why? Well, probably because there was not a single brave enough, courageous enough individual to offer Jesus housing for the night in Jerusalem. Those accusers of Jesus that would go after Jesus to accuse him, they would have homes they could go to, they would have a shelter, but Jesus did not. We don't know what Jesus spent that night on the Mount of Olives. Maybe somebody had a little shack over there and offered that to him, a little tent. Maybe he spent it under the tree after teaching all day. We don't know. But he went on the Mount of Olives. And um, verse 2 says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them what a diligent preacher Jesus was. He would be there in the temple when? Early in the morning. Where did he spend the night? In Jerusalem or outside Jerusalem? He spent the night outside Jerusalem. So this means to be there in Jerusalem, in the temple, early in the morning. When was he supposed to wake up? Early. I don't know if he went to bed at all. Because Jesus was notorious for spending all night in unity with his Father that is in heaven in prayer. What I would like to notice here, a few things. First of all, as I said, early in the morning, he had to come from uh, outside of Jerusalem and be there in the temple. And number two, I would like to mention here that Jesus still kept coming to the temple. People today, nowadays, especially with COVID, they have this question, why should we come to church anyway? We can watch online, and there is, by the way, place for that. There's people that are only able to watch worship services online. We, will, uh, we know the conditions they are in. We know, we support, we keep them in our prayers. However, Jesus, by his own example, shows what we ought to do when we want to hear God's word, what should we do? Come to worship God in his temple. And also, one more thing I would like to mention here. Um, you tell me now, how did Jesus teach in the, in the temple? His posture in, out of the text. Tell me, what did he do while teaching? D uh, what did he do? 
He sat down. This means he came there to spend some significant amount of time, right? He sat down. This means I'm here for quite a bit of time. Just bear with me. Let's sit down and listen from the word of God. And he was, in fact, preaching and teaching not like Pharisees and Sadducees, but he, but he had what? He had authority and power, and everybody in his audience could sense that power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now, when scribes, verse 3, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and it was the feast. It was time of a holiday, and in the great majority for the people that lived in Jerusalem and in Israel and Galilee, this was the time to get closer to God. But at the same time, certain individuals have opened the heart in their lives for the temptations of the devil. So this woman in this holiday that was intended to get her closer to God, she have committed what? Adultery. Open the heart for sin. Devil came into her life. He destroyed her life by pushing her into adultery. And right now it says that she was caught. And it's interesting. I would like you to notice the pattern. Most likely she was brought before Jesus out of all one of those uh, uh, judgment place for uh, like a Sanhedrin or whatsoever. Do you remember the pattern that was uh, um, with Jesus when he got caught? before his crucifixion, who was the one to arrest Jesus? Roman uh, power and governors or some other powers? No, it was the Jewish uh, uh, authorities, religious uh, authorities that came and arrested Jesus. And where did they bring Jesus first? They brought him to Sanhedrin, the place of judgment uh, for uh, the Jews. And after sentencing Jesus, where did they go to make sure the sentence, the verdict is death penalty for Jesus? Uh, uh, where did they took Jesus to? They took to Pilate, to Roman governor. Do you see the pattern? Like this woman right now in this story, she just barely passed from a uh, place where she was caught in adultery and now brought to Jesus... Instead of a Sanhedrin, she was brought to Jesus that Jesus would pronounce his sentence over her. Now, adultery is the work of darkness. And although people try and conceal adultery sooner or later, did you notice that it comes up to surface? It comes up to light anyway? It does. And so it happened in the story of this woman. Um, one, of the, one of the prominent church leaders have committed adultery. And um, as a matter of fact, afterwards, he would describe the process, how it ruined his life, how it ruined the life of his family. It was the time he never thought it would hurt him so much. 
he would go and describe how all of the people turned his backs on him in his church. And he, not that he was judging them. He was telling how guilt was crushing him for committing something that he knew was not right before the Lord. And it's interesting to me, after exploring how devastating that is, he subscribed in the article with a pseudonym. It's, uh, it's not his real name, fake name he put below. Do you know why? Because he was still ashamed and crushed by guilt of what happened in his life. It was devastating. Devastating. And... Um, as he said, I cried as I read what, we, what he went through and his family. And rejection of a church family, complete rejection, was the one that crushed him the most. And now in the books, uh, Patriarchs and Prophets, we uh, will meet a chapter called Baal Peor. And that's uh, the one that describes how Israelites have committed adultery with the daughters of uh, 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 Midianites, and uh, this crime was so big that uh, the high uh, leadership of the country uh, of Israelites was involved in that. Now, what happened afterward is that uh, um, uh, it is a statement there that woke me up that said, people that live at the end of times, this means us, every single human being will go through that temptation of Baal Peor. No one will be exempt. No one will be exempt from that temptation. It is up to us to choose whether we will stand or fall, but everyone will go through that. And what do we say? Lord, please help us to stand firm. And if you think it's not about us this sin, well, then you are stronger than Samson, more spiritual than David, and wiser than Solomon. Notice verse 4 over here in the conversation. It says, they said to him, teacher, or in some translations, you will see master. This woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Just a few moments before, Pharisees refused, rejected to call Jesus teacher or master. Right now, there's a change. They call him teacher, master. Do you think they changed their attitude towards Jesus? No, they tried to flatter Jesus with their kind approach. And they said, teacher, master. And then they would... Uh, um, um, uh, ask this, what should we do with uh, her? And uh, just speaking on the um, sin of adultery, I would like to tell you that um, intimate relationships in a family between husband and wife, it's a gift given by God to humanity. Amen? But when it is abused by human beings, it might become a curse. And as an example, um, uh, it's just taken from the world of music, uh, uh, Music Through the Eyes of Faith, uh, the book uh, uh, by Harold Best, tells a story of a young man that uh, was 
deeply involved in uh, satanic cults. And in those practices of satanic cults, it was very much used, the music of Johann Sebastian Bach, and by the way, it's, he's one of my favorite composers. I listened to his music, but during that cult, it was used very heavily. And right now, uh, this young man was saved by the grace of God. He came to Jesus Christ, uh, recognition that Christ alone can save him, and uh, he got converted. He came to church. Everything was great. Everything was fine up until one day when organist in the church sat and started um, uh, playing uh, music by Johann Sebastian Bach in the church. You know what that young man did? He got out and ran out of the church because the memories that he had tied to his previous life were too strong and he couldn't stand it. In the same way, Intimate relationships within the family between husband and wife could be a blessing, but if humanity abuses that, it might become a curse. And in this woman's life, when she was caught in adultery in the very act, apparently something went wrong. And the Pharisees were right there in chapter 8, verse 5 says, Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? Were they right when they were saying that uh, she should be put to death? According to the law of Moses, were they right on that? Yes, indeed. That's what the law of Moses would say. Did... Um, they have an authority to do so? No. Why? Because they were under Roman power. They couldn't do that. But they just wanted to test Jesus, what Jesus would say, because they wanted to catch him at his word, at his teaching. Now, she was definitely guilty. And actually, if I were to say that it was a grace from God that she got caught that day, you'd probably be surprised. Why do you think it was a blessing? Well, because just imagine for a moment that she would commit adultery that day and would be unnoticed, conceal that fact. What would happen next uh, time? She would go and do that again and then over and over again until her heart would be hardened with that sin. And I like how one of the persons said, better our sins should shame us than kill us and destroy us. And she ended up next to Jesus that day. Verse 6 says, they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as thou he did not hear. If Jesus was to say, well, okay, sure, um, the law of Moses says you should stone her, well, then uh, everybody would uh, say, well, uh, you go 
uh, and uh, run across the law of uh, Romans that say you are not uh, supposed to kill anyone um, unless the Roman uh, governor approves. And, uh, and in fact, well, they would also accuse Jesus, look, you eat with sinners and you drink with them, kill them all. If Jesus was to say, that's right, you should stone her. And if, on the other hand, Jesus would say, well, uh, no, let's not kill her, then they would say, look, then you are against the law of Moses, and also then you are approving the sinful life. You are a friend of sinners then. And look what Jesus does. Anytime people try to catch Jesus, you know what Jesus would do? He would come up with a question for the accusers, for those that would like to catch Jesus. And that's what happened. Verse 7, so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, who is without sin among you? Let him throw a stone at her first. Who is without sin? A rhetorical question. The answer is well known is no one. That's right. And people that were standing that day next to Jesus to accuse that woman, even they realized, oh, no, we are sinners. We are. And Jesus, again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Um, this writing on the ground. People were accusing that woman of being caught in adultery. Jesus would write something on the ground, and then he would make this statement, who of you has no sin? Take the stone and throw at her first. And he keeps writing something on the ground. Let's remember another place in the Bible when a hand of God was writing something. Daniel chapter 5. Belshazzar's feast, do you remember the writing on the wall? Whose hand was writing on the wall? The hand of God. And it was the judgment pronounced over the guilty leader of nation, Belshazzar. Reaction of Belshazzar. Do you remember how Belshazzar reacted to the writing on the wall? What happened to him? The text says that his knees was hitting each other from fear. He was shaken by fear like a leaf in the wind. He knew it's about him. And that writing on the sand by the hand of Son of God, Jesus Christ, have provoked some reaction in accusing crowned as well. And what did they start doing, by the way? Just one by one, leaving the place and leaving those two, Jesus and the woman, alone for a meaningful conversation. Can you imagine those people dropping the stones and leaving the place, being ashamed? Because Jesus knows not only our deeds, he also knows our motives. And if we accuse others and point fingers at them, let's remember that three others 
point towards us. This means in that situation, we probably are more guilty than the one we accuse. The work of conscience is uh, something that is provoked by the work of the Holy Spirit. Just an interesting example to you, a uh, shoplifter, and that story told by Bill White in Paramount, California. A uh, shoplifter wrote to a department store saying, I've just become a Christian and I can't sleep at night because I feel guilty. So here's a $100 bill that I owe you. And then he signed his name under and below he wrote some more. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> you know, short-term conversion, something that happened that day with the Pharisees, they got accused and they left the place, I hope, understanding the grace of God in action. And now, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Let's focus our attention, verses 9 through 11. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest and even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I can imagine this scene when Jesus was writing something on the sand, on the ground, with his finger, and people one by one were dropping off their stones. And I remember this amazing story of two Americans who were crossing the Atlantic and were singing the hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul. They were joined by a third man having an exceedingly rich tenor voice. And uh, when the Munich see, uh, music ceased, one of the Americans uh, turned to, his, uh, 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 to the person that came and joined them. And he asked them, let me ask you a question. Were, did, did, were you a participant of a civil war? And, and, and the answer was yes. Okay, well... Uh, Ask, answer one more question. Were you at the specific time, that specific night, that specific year in a certain place? And he said, yeah, I was there. And then he says, it's a curious thing that happened that night. And he describes this hymn, recalled it to my mind. I was on a sentry duty on the edge of a wood and it was a dark night and very cold and I was... Um, uh, frightened because the enemy was supposed to be somewhere close and I felt homesick, I felt miserable and about the mid-time when everything was still, 
I lifted my head up and I started singing this song. And these are the words that I was singing. All my trust on thee is stayed. All my help from thee I bring. Cover my defenseless head with a shadow of thy wing. And after I had sang those words, a strange peace came down upon me. And I had it through the whole night. And then the man that asked him said, listen to my story. I was that night. And you were on the Confederate side. I was on the other side. And I was there with a group of scouts. My scouts were pointing their rifles your direction at your head, waiting for my command. And right in that moment, you said those words, cover my defenseless head with a shadow of thy wing. And I told my scouts, bring down your rifles. We're not going to kill anyone tonight. It was the grace of God that brought those rifles. And it was the grace of God that saved that woman that day. And the name of that grace is Jesus Christ himself. Sometimes I wonder what would be my favorite words spoken by Jesus in the Gospels. And I go back and I read story after another. But I keep coming back to this story. And I realized that these are one of the best words that I could ever hear from Jesus while I live here on earth. And these are the words, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You know, brothers and sisters, we're sinners. And when we fall, all that we need is those beautiful words spoken by Jesus. Neither do I condemn you first. But then the encouraging word, go and sin no more. And like in the case of this woman, many people would think, wow, Jesus didn't punish that woman. She's going to go and do that again and again, but they have no idea that Jesus knows all of our sins, knows all of our faults, all of our weaknesses. He knows them better than we do, but he knows something more. He knows the power of his grace that goes beyond grace and puts us in the big picture of his salvation. It is His grace that transforms us and changes our lives. And people will always be people, and they all will see is just our faults and mistakes. Don't blame them for them. We are like that. But I'd rather invite you to look at each other with the eyes of God that looks at us through the lenses of grace that go beyond grace. 
And look what encouragement is. Jesus says to this woman, neither do I condemn you. And that is already grace. Do you agree with that? But what goes beyond grace is this invitation, go and sin no more. And Jesus understands better than anybody that this woman cannot go without sin on her own. She needs whom? Jesus Christ to be on her side for the rest of her life. And so it is with us. And that is grace beyond grace when Jesus forgives us. And then he says, go. But then he waits for our invitation if we would ask him to join us in our life journey. You know, speaking of people being people that will always accuse us, there's a story of a Pem Chick. Pem Chick was uh, a person that was entirely sold to addiction to alcohol. He had a business of his own, but eventually over time when person is heavily involved in abusing the substance, what happens to business? Kind of starts falling apart. And that's what was happening in his life. But one day there was a change in his life. And uh, this is how everybody noticed it first. They, they saw that Pam Chick have posted above the door of his business a new sign that said, Pam Chick and partner. And uh, everybody was thinking, whoa, what a partner he has. Probably mindless partner that signed up a contract to be a partner with Pam Chick. He's a drunkard. He has no mind. That partner is out of a mind. But guess what happened next? The business started going really, really good because there was an absolute transformation in Pam Chick's life. He was now absolutely converted individual. All of his work that he was doing was directed towards heavenly Zion. And now everybody was thinking, well, maybe that partner is not that fool. He invested and trusted Pam Chick and looked the results. And it wasn't until the death of Pam Chick that they discovered the name of his partner. They opened the papers and they realized that everywhere it was written, Pamchik and Jesus Christ are partners forever. When Jesus entrusts us with his partnership, it's a risk. When he came down from heaven, it was a risk. Not from our side but from his side, but he took it knowing that in your heart you will respond to that love. You will respond to his call. Now let me ask you the question. Do you think Jesus Christ can change your life to the likeness of God and his image? Do you think he can do that? Well, let me ask you another question. May he do that now? And you don't need to answer me. You have to answer Jesus. Amen.